Good evening, good morrow, and good morning, everyone. My name is Mikhail Moonstrung, and for the first time ever, we have the largest, the biggest, most gargantuan sword wielder of the Masonic warrior community here. We have Widow's Miho. Holy hell, Widow, what are you doing here? How did you stumble into this place? Uh, I've been anxiously waiting for the invite and a little bit concerned. I was like, everyone else is getting interviews. Why haven't I gotten asked yet? So I just patiently been waiting and here we are. So as we start this, for those who are unfamiliar, Widow's Miho and Widow's Miho 2, or Tyler Hall as he's known to those mortals and muggles, is not only remarkably skilled with the tattoo gun, but with the Bible, with scripture, and with education, with logical thoughts. Every day he regularly spends time not only correcting Masonic misinformation, entertaining those brethren who have followed him, but being deliberately engaged with helping those people who have questions, those seeking and searching souls to figure out, you know, what exactly is the fraternity? And so when we start with that, you know, that's a big favorite question here. Let's talk about you. Brother Tyler, what is a what does the fraternity mean to you? Uh honestly, I mean, that's whew, what a question. Uh I mean, it, it it genuinely means a lot. Like it uh, you know, similar to Brother Muscle Marty. Uh, you know, I've heard his testimony of what led him to Freemasonry. It's, uh, relatively close, but, you know, for added context, essentially like in a nutshell, Freemasonry kind of like saved my life and ultimately kind of saved me from myself just because I felt that I was heading down a dark, destructive path. And, uh, we kind of like all come at that fork in the road at some point in our lives. Like, and I was even informed about the, uh, what is it? uh the return of return of saturn or some some sort of saying some astrological saying comes around the time when we're about age 27 right and ironically that's around the time that i started like getting this feeling of like ultimately just wanting to better myself and i'd always wanted to be a freemason uh like for the like eight years prior to that uh you know, I used to be a conspiracy theorist and everything, but then uh, worked with some Freemasons, learned the truth about it. It sparked my interest. And then, you know, but it just didn't work out at the time. And then, uh, yeah, ultimately my decision-making wasn't the best. I was, you know, just kind of in a dark place and at that point in my life. And uh, dealing with uh, mental mental illnesses like you know uh, neurodivergent uh, yeah. anxiety ridden my whole life uh, you know depressed seasonal clinical depression uh, I just got tired of it and I hadn't prayed in probably 15 years at the time because I more so believed in like a, you know universal law God is the universe and so on and so forth but it was very like more narrow thought it thought out <clears throat> and then i just decided to pray i just started praying because i was having a mental breakdown panic attack and just basically made a <laughs> made a deal with god right there and there i was like look god i'm tired of feeling this way and i'm not going to hurt myself but i can't continue living like this so i'm giving it to you like if you fix me i'll live like more for you in whatever direction that ends up being and long story short, it finally got me in a lodge. 
That is fucking, that is beautiful. Honestly, I understand now why you've been able to brave this, the den of iniquity, my dear brother. You made a deal, a deal with the big man as it is. Hell yeah. With That's yeah. incredible. That's incredible. So, you know, when you look at that space, you've definitely, you've been on the, on the, on the fence as it was uh, from conspiracy and irrational to rational and having, you know, gone from darkness into light. When you talk about some of those beginning formative years about how you previously saw the, the fraternity of Freemasonry before you joined it, how would you encapsulate that? And you said conspiracy theories, but you know, what are some of the ideas you had about it? So basically like it was kind of like almost like a love hate relationship throughout my entire life because early life I was introduced to it uh, by my dad, who was not a Freemason, but he was a, you know, small town celebrity. Uh, He was a barber that cut everybody's hair, including all the Freemasons in town. And one of his best friends was a Shriner, which I know. Yeah. Yes. And he even planned to petition, but unfortunately he passed away when I was uh, 14 back in 05. He never got the chance to petition. So that was also another step that I felt like I could have, you know, maybe completed for him, uh, in his honor. So, uh, but his best friend was a Shriner and, uh, he basically was like a second grandpa to me. And I didn't, I was really young. I didn't really understand, you know, Shriner, a pendant body of Freemasonry and Freemasonry is this, like, I didn't understand any of that. Uh, but, uh, later on in life, uh, I, you know, was going to church and stuff and stopped going to church and uh, around 15, uh, grew up Southern Baptist, uh, you know, I live in the buckle of the Bible belt. So <laughs> it's there, very common. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very like, you know, it was second nature growing up and don't question anything. It's just, it's just what you do. Um, but being in that setting, I also just always a critical thinker. And that's what kind of pushed me out of church. Uh, I didn't exactly question my faith just yet, but it opened up the doors of conspiracy. And, uh, you know, the free thought really and like fascinated me because I always kind of had these intuitions that didn't align with the church, uh, you know, doctrine, I should say. And... Uh, so yeah, diving into the conspiracies, it was like, oh yeah, the Freemasons, they, it was a lot more mundane back then the conspiracies were, it was more so just like, oh yeah, it's just a bunch of rich old guys that's trying to rule the world and rumors of Satan worship, but yeah, we don't a little, know. A little more Rockefeller blue collar, uh, than, than this whole like, no, they're the, they're the elite alien lizard people who... who eat babies at meetings and do all this weird stuff. It's like, how did we go from like reasonable conspiracy questions to just full blown like nutcases? Well, really, that's an interesting one because you look at it like that and you're right. We take a huge like into the insane levels of just accepted expounded theory. At the point in time, if you, you, you said like, no, I think that person's a lizard. Your ass was thrown into an insane asylum. Like that was what? You didn't get to just say that. Like, no, that, that, that represents. And ironically, I, I was one of those people. I was one of those people that was like, yeah, lizard people totally run the government. And it's, then I started to think to myself, I was like, once I got to where I'm like locating where the 
uh, draconian bloodline in the Pleiadians originate from and all this other stuff and that they've infiltrated and that some of us are like, you know, uh, Zeta Reticuli uh, originated from like whatever and they're they're taking the shape of humans and and once it got to that point, that's when I told myself, I was like, okay, you're either extremely wrong and just driving yourself crazy or like it's just you know it's just simply not that deep like maybe there's something going on clearly but i don't you know the logic kind of starts to set in with any type of critical thinking yeah and that's when i got to the point where i was like this might be a little too far for me so i mean honestly that's because you, you threw off several like trigger keywords in there that i'm like oh shit all right i mean i think our general audience is going to know some of those especially <laughs> and i'm like all right well i have a very interesting interesting curious approach now so when you start your research this process of critical thought where did you begin with it and then as you came into the fraternity and freemasonry how did that process of critical thought change or alter so it, it changed once I shifted the perspective at, at that point where basically I was like, okay, like I am taking this too far. So I calmed down on the conspiracy theories because it was adding to my depression. It was adding to my anxiety. So I was just like, I'm just going to take a break from all this. Uh, so that was like early research in, in like my late teens. Once I finally broke free of like the dogmatist mindset of just like, this is what you have to believe of, Hey, like there's a whole lot of information in the world in the gray area. Uh, so I, w- I went in the gray area and, uh, but then, but then just ultimately kind of just, you know, figured, you know, Freemasons are just whatever they're, <clears throat> they're friends with the Illuminati. What am I going to be able to do about it? But, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I worked with some Freemasons and they again i'm in i'm in the buckle of the the bible belt and these individuals were just average joes uh southern good old boys like you said blue collar uh and i was just like there is no way that these guys are trying to take over the world critical thinking kicks in so i'm just like what do y'all do what's this all about y'all worshiping satan y'all in there worshiping the devil and like obviously making jokes and uh, but but then we actually started to have like real conversations and he explained the uh, philanthropy side of it and the not so much on the esoteric side because he wasn't necessarily into that. Uh, that kind of came with like in my own personal research of just going down rabbit holes and whatnot. But the main thing that got me intrigued was uh, was all the charity work and the community involvement. And that's when I really was like well, this makes sense because it's coming from him and I know him and I know how great of a person he is. And then there was regulars that was part of the same lodge. And yeah, that was kind of the shift as far as uh, the critical thinking side of what I thought about Freemasons. And I was like, well, now I need to go do research. If this is something I want to do, then I'm going to debunk the things that are debunkable. And pretty much from that point on until I joined the lodge, you know, in and out, on and off, uh, I did most of my debunking when I before I became a Freemason. So that way I like knew going into it that I was making a, a right decision. And then uh, pretty much came into like my decision from that point. 
really like when you look at this space, the, the effectively the simplest way that you rectified all of the, you know, all of the, the, the crazy, which comes to the hypercritical thought was by sitting in meeting with the Mason. You can spend so much time on the internet, but in general, like you sat down, you met, you, you had these questions and suddenly that logic kicked in, that, that space kicked in and you were able to very quickly come to, come to a space of decision. So what was it like to, to, to ask for your petition when you, when you got your petition for the first time, what did that feel like for you? So my first time was extremely discouraging and it's not that I even got my hands on a petition yet. Uh, long story short, me and the old shop owner that I worked for at the time, um, he found out about it around the same time that I did, except he's a narcissistic sociopath who also like made it clear in previous conversations that, you know, like I was honest about my faith at the time. I, I labeled myself an atheist because I didn't actually know what that word meant to me at the time. I still believed what I believed. I still believed in the universe, universal law, whatever, but I was honest about that. Yeah. Uh, shop owner was not. And me and him used to butt heads a lot. And so he lied about his faith in order to get in because in his mind, uh, kind of a prerequisite to segue into a, a separate conversation. He, his ultimate goal, like ever was to like, try and like start a cult or have like a cult following. And then he thought that he could basically join Freemasonry for personal gain in a way of like his image of thinking that Freemasonry is like some sort of what the conspiracies talk about. So I knew right then and there, he didn't belong there. He got in first and uh, he, you know, was went, went through all three degrees. And so he had uh, ballot rights and he did the one thing that we are not supposed to do, which I didn't know this at the time because I wasn't a Mason yet, but the one, the most sacred thing that we have is our ballot. Amen. And he, he told uh, our mutual friend that is the one that introduced me to everything and inspired me to become a Freemason, told him what he would vote if my petition got turned in and it was a big fat no. So I didn't even do it. I didn't even fill it out because I was like, what's the point? It has to be unanimous. I like, it was discouraging. And I was like, he's such a terrible person and he does not belong there. And I just felt a calling like to it once I found out the truth. And then even, you know, tying in the early connections through my dad's relationships. So I like, but I do believe everything happens for a reason because at that time in my life, I was not quite spiritually ready for Freemasonry because I hadn't experienced a few things that I needed to experience and which ultimately led to me finally calling out to God, finally understanding my relationship with God right before Freemasonry. And then that's when it happened at the most perfect time. So that first round, how exactly, if you don't mind me asking, how old were you when you got that first interaction there? Um, the first time that I wanted to petition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you were met with the, the individual who got it before you. Uh, I started apprenticing. It was 2011. So it was 2012. So I was about 20, I was about 21, 20 or 21. That's so interesting. The reason is, the reason I see, cause you, you mentioned something that was really pivotal and that was 
pivotable and that had to do with the age by which you come to a certain kind of maturity and engagement and point especially even with traditional like esoteric teachings there's a certain age by which you're then allowed to get into those points and you know, it, it's, I, I agree. I love that. I love to see that you've, you've actually been able to come back and again with fervor and zeal. So take us now to the second time to round, round number two, after that proclamation, after that space, where, how did God bring this to you? Well, so within that time period that I wanted to petition and finally got to petition, one keynote that I want to throw in there is that a lot of my like surface level esoteric knowledge came from having that freedom from dogmatic belief and researching things that I was told I shouldn't research. And then, you know, because it's bad, it's satanic, it's whatever. I mean, I, I, I looked into left-hand path, not because I wanted to practice it, but, but because I wanted to understand, I wanted to understand like the uh, psychology of everyone fascinates me. Like, why does people believe what they believe? Why do people want to take a left, a left-hand path? If, you know, my church side of my brain is telling me that, you know, or whoever from the church is saying, this is bad, this is evil, this is Satan. But then, like, I know people that have taken the left-hand path, and they're, like, very upright men themselves in general. So I was just very open-minded at this point. And then, so basically that night, I called out to God. And I made that uh, that first pre-obligation, as I like to call it. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't like an on and off switch. God wasn't just like, "Oh, yep, yeah, mental mental illness, it's gone. You're good. Just make sure you make sure you you know follow Damn. your vow." <laughs> it was uh, it was just something that like my way of thinking just kind of like shifted, and I pretty much just logically started thinking of ways how to cope like not fix but cope with what i deal with so i use the logic of like like a compulsive liar or you know someone who like lies so much to the point that they eventually believe their story i took that flipped it and literally told myself every day in the mirror like before going to work and start my day off with uh like basically affirmations i'd be like you're awesome I love you. You're handsome. You're this, you're that. I love you. I love you. I love you. And eventually I, I, it was silly at the time in hindsight, but then it, it started to work. I started to actually like love myself again. And so by doing that, especially after like uh, calling out to God and having that rekindled relationship it, I used to be anti-pharmaceutical, anti-doctor. All the doctors are out to get us. All the medicine's out to kill us and blah, blah, blah. Well, something shifted in my perspective as well to say, maybe you should go to the doctor because, you know, not all medicine is good for you, but some people do need that little bit of a crutch to function properly. And I wasn't, function I wasn't functioning properly. So I got myself in the doctor. I found out that I had, I was diagnosed with super, super late ADHD, something that like it, and it answered a question that I had about myself my entire life that I could never answer. And it was just like warm water over my entire body. Ah. And then, yeah, exactly. And, um, and then even found something that helped with the anxiety. And, uh, so now I could think clearly and, 
And then a buddy of mine who uh, was a really good friend, we've been best friends for a while. He comes in to get tattooed by me. It's the first time we actually like seen each other in probably about three years at, at this point. And the taxi, you know, we're catching up, shooting the shit. And uh, then he tells me what he wants to get done. It just so happens to be the working tools and the word traveling man. No and I'm, shit. I immediately, immediately knew what it was because of, you know, previous uh, research. And I was like, he, he didn't say like what it was for or anything because he was not necessarily trying to be discreet. He's just more of a, he's always been a discreet person. Right. So like, and we're best friends. We like pick on each other. So he, he didn't say what they were. But I just looked at him. I was like, when did you become a Freemason? And he was like, how did you know what that was? I was like, dude, I like wanted to petition way back in the day. <laughs> and yeah. And then so from that oh, point on. That's fucking I, spooky. That's cool. Yeah. I, I felt that that was the path that God wanted me to go on because, again, it, you know, consciousness is similar to God. You can't it's it's an intangible form of something we all know exists, but we can't take it out in tangible form and prove it exists. So I have a, a thing. That's when I realized that God was inside of all of us. And so my thought process changing wasn't necessarily my thought that it was God guiding me. <clears throat> and that's what led me to that point. Because now, like I said before, I wasn't spiritually ready, but then I made that pact with God. And then it led me into fixing my to be able to think clearly at the doctor and then was like, here you go. Here's Freemasonry. Now you're ready for Freemasonry. That is fucking incredible. I, when I hear that story, I'm, I'm testified one. I love how, especially the way God works in so many spaces by setting an example and then by allowing that example to be seen, right. You know, from a firsthand perspective and a third, third, uh, third person perspective at times, you know, you made it packed. And then when you consider within the fraternity, this idea and an obligation has power. It's almost like J.R.L. Tolkien level, like the power of an oath kind of, a, I mean, it's, it's so momentous. And the change that you experienced, you know, one at the hands of God, uh, the, the, the thought and the power and the motive, the guidance, but it was your feet, your steps, which walked you into those places and how the fraternity was one of them, you know, and, and through a friend, you know, fear your, follow your conductor and fear no danger. And the fact that it was a friend who- And to- he ended up becoming my coach. No shit yeah see that right there okay so now let's let's run into present day mr Withersmeo, conspiracy theorist masonic warrior and now 32nd degree scottish right mason one congratulations on that thank you thank you yeah it was uh literally just happened over this past weekend what are your biggest takeaways from that uh that's probably a, right? like a loaded question <laughs> but like yeah um, what would you- it, it is and it isn't, but like, so, okay, so basically, when I joined Freemasonry, I had this, like, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat of a theater kid, like, all through middle school, and then the end of middle school, I was in advanced theater, and, like, not that I'm, like, an aspiring actor, I just master, or jack of all trades, master of none, except for my master mace, of course, but... Okay. So going going into uh, Freemasonry, I had this uh, image of Victorian era Freemasonry where everything's made out of mahogany and every man smoking a cigar and 
just gentleman slick hair and like suspenders and just yeah like that's what it, and and then all of my masonic heroes you know like being from that that general era like early 1800s late 1700s so on and so forth like obviously i knew it wasn't like that uh, but it was that's the image that i had but obviously getting into and my first degree night was also we'll get into that later but it was it was very like just emotions all over the place like I, it was amazing uh but then obviously you get into it and especially getting raised a master mason down the road after fellow craft and after inter apprentice then you just kind of like get hit with the reality that you know it's more mundane it's not boring it's more mundane than the image that like you know thinking in that aspect yeah which is nothing wrong with that i absolutely love blue lodge and blue lodge is is the essence of philanthropy within freemasonry in my opinion um and that's kind of the key role of it now the esoteric side was the side that i was kind of hoping for and then i was told literally the night of my initiation uh just one of the brothers that was at the lodge he also was part of the investigation committee that uh uh you know did my investigation before I was even initiated, he was already like, you're going to love Scottish Rite, just based off the answer when he said, uh, whom do you put your trust? And I, you know, obviously I said, God, but, you know, just to like clarify, like he stopped me right there. <laughs> and that's all I said, just based off of giving him that he just kind of knew and was like, before I was even initiated, he was like, after you're done with your three degrees, you got to check out Scottish Rite. You're going to love Scottish Rite. I was like, well, that sounds cool because I'm very Scottish, obviously. So, so basically blue lodge is open-ended to interpreting your own esoterics but you don't really get the whole esoteric side uh just from attending meetings and, and such uh and there's nothing wrong with that that is well said <laughs> personal frustration as of late but no yeah you're well said <laughs> i like that you said the way the blue lodge encapsulates the like the base of charity and philanthropy i'm like okay yeah all right. Yeah, I feel that. Yeah. And it's not that that's the only point either. Obviously, there's a whole lot more. So I don't want anyone to take that out of context. Like it's some front for the low level Masons or just the, like it's nothing like that. It's it's very, very important. And it is still. The you said it really well. Great. You know, the, the blue lodge, yeah. that's where you get to infer your own esoteric, right? That's the unlimited version. That's where you get to figure it out for yourself. You know, go, go travel, good boy. But the Scottish, right? It, you know, they, they expound. It's such a collaborative and compilation of, of work and writing, lifetime of work and writing to go into that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, basically, it's got something for everyone. So Scottish, right? I got that esoteric side of Freemasonry that I was, uh, that I was seeking out. And it's not that I ruined any of the surprises that Scottish, right, has within the degrees. I did preemptively know what a lot of the stuff was already. Yeah. So it was prepared, well qualified as it is. And, and accidentally, like I didn't mean to stumble across information throughout personal studies, but it was exciting because I was like, this is stuff that I already like have been studying, not even knowing it was attached to Scottish, right. And then it even helped fill in some blanks. And, but it, it gave me that like, 
that excitement for the esoteric side. And then it also confirmed a lot of things for me, which was even more exciting because I've had a lot of theories when I was doing my own esoteric analysis of Blue Lodge. But I thought that, you know, like I would try to talk to my other friends, say like, yo, like this makes sense, blah, blah. And they're just like, dude, like it's not that deep. Like we're literally just trying to like fry some fish. Uh, okay. I love, <laughs> I, was like, I love those boys. Ain't nothing on them, but like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. And, but Scottish Rite gave me that confirmation and it was like, and it was nothing sinister. It was all, it was all still great stuff. It's just, they didn't care to talk about it. And that's fine. I love them too. And uh, Freemasonry is individualism. And then uh, well, I haven't so. gotten through York Rite yet, but York Rite, that would be more so for, so Scottish Rite is more for the free thinker, the, the one who's able to, you know, openly have free thought. And then Go you've got York Right. Yeah. And then you have York Right, who is more exclusive on being a bit more dogmatic in uh Freemason. And not all of all of York Right, um, from what I understand. It's uh the Templar degrees that is more on the dogmatic of yeah, you know, professing uh which I, I do plan to do. Uh I do plan to go all the way through York Right as well at some point, but that's way down the road. Yeah, actually, I'll be honest, I was a little surprised. I mean, and, and nothing to it or on it, but when I watched your channel and your space, I really would have expected you to start with York, right? With the amount of incredibly detailed esoteric study you've done on the on, on the scriptures from that on the Abrahamic faiths and and things like that. I would have like if I would have just rolled the dice, I would have said that I would have seen you in York right before the Scottish right. No, I mean not getting nothing on it, but just my uh, as it appeared. Oh yeah, and I you know a lot of people said that like that's probably the route to go some people even said oh you need to wait till you get through the chairs and stuff like that i'm too like now that i have scottish right on yeah exactly like i have scottish right under my belt and it's not that i plan to rush into scottish right and forget about blue lodge i'm still focused on blue lodge i just wanted to have like the you know the title in the sense of being able to expand my personal studies when i'm at home but my my heart is still stuck in Blue Lodge. And it's not that I'm trying to advance quicker or anything like that. It's just that I'm trying to, you know, like... You've got to cover the bases, I'm, right? You know, you've got to exactly. see everything that's there. There's lifetimes. And um, sometimes people, they, they don't understand. Us young boys, right? I'll call us modern Masons. We're hungry. We've got generations of shit old archives, dusty books and things, we've got to go through to catch back up to where we left off when last we were within the lodge, so to speak. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're the future of Freemasonry. And then the generation after us is the, is the even further future of Freemasonry. And something that I was so zealous about before even joining, just like, again, like I've, I've, always been fascinated by philosophy i've always been fascinated by i've always taken the word of people i know that are smarter than me that i need to shut up and listen <clears throat> and that's what i want to essentially like not saying that i'm smarter than anyone i just want to bring the zealousness back into into freemasonry Absolutely. and there's i i just and that's also what inspired the tiktok was that you know like 
in my mind after joining the lodge i was like this is definitely more mundane than the theatrical version i had made up in my victorian head we need the disco but... lights and the goat he said <laughs> exactly so i was like what better way to do this than to start making tiktok content and before i was reserved because i was saying am i allowed to do that like what what can i say what am i what can i not say like but but ultimately i was just took the advice of one of my personal uh you know brothers at my lodge that I look up to I took his advice he said anything that is written in print is public knowledge and free to share I was like all right I'm bet. taking it I'm running with it bet <laughs> see it was interesting you say that because I thought uh, in the back of our clear key text here in good old Colorado they referenced some of the the, the foundational stuff and what I found was really interesting is there's a particular line in a quote I think it's from J.P. Mackey Mackley uh, and he goes and he says, that effectively, one in our ancient charges that the secrets of Freemasonry cannot be revealed. And I really like that because when I read it the second time, it wasn't in the sense of like, we can't, we can't reveal it to everybody. It was more like, no, motherfucker, like the way you said, it's individualism. It couldn't be revealed. And, and this is just in my opinion. Obviously, I'm not talking about science, words, grips, any of the things and modes of recognitions or aspects to the degrees. But I mean... When you talk about what is really the core of the fraternity, you couldn't if you tried. If you managed to put it in a word, then you were profaning against it. Mm-hmm. I I could not agree more. It's the this this the true secrets of Freemasonry is it's not that we are bound to some sort of like sinister penalty that if we even say we're a Freemason, our heads will be chopped off or something. It's it, it, it's if we even tried to explain to someone who is not ready for that conversation we just can't we just can't explain this <laughs> yeah like, yeah i mean and to, uh... you, you just have to be mentally prepared for if you want to get into the esoteric side of freemasonry and it, like people even get terrified of that word esoteric because they're like what does that mean I'm like, well, well, you know, there's Christian esotericism. I mean, if you think about it, every church in existence is Christian esotericism because they've taken so much, <laughs> they've taken so much stuff and just completely spun it into their own. I love this. Yeah. So I mean, I'm sure you, you know, and if you don't, I happily share. I, I'm a ritualist and a pagan practitioner of, of many eclectic paths from a long time, and. And so when it, when it comes to Christianity, some of my favorite things to study in the world, in all of esotericism, uh, or, or is Christian mysticism, um, has to do with like, especially you look at the Kabbalah and ancient, like that's, that's predestined, but looking at an inherently Christian mysticism, this not necessarily new age, but like Jesus and the mystery around Christ and this energy, like there is such, boom, boom. It was like, there you go. Holy oh, hell. I think I think it's backwards, but yeah, it's uh, Christ, the original mystery, esotericism, and the mystical way. John Boren. I Yeah, it's, I have, I'm not familiar with that one in particular, though I think I may end up buying it after our conversation. I like, oh, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, it's the, I mean, and that's, that's why I'm so fascinated with uh, Greek Orthodox, because they still, even to this day, like, uh, you know, practice, it's like, christian mysticism and you know they wear these black robes with these crazy white symbols all over them and if you were to just take a glance at it any person who doesn't understand like what they're doing would say what is this some sort of satanic priest and it's because they've been so 
indoctrinated by the Western, Western Church. Oh, the Western Church, you said it. it. It may as well be comparable to any antagonist in, in, in the storybook we listen to. The Western Church, as it's responsible and involved in May spaces, has, even, has deviated itself far away from Freemasonry and, and tried to subvert many of the places where Freemasonry set those foundational stones. And that sets the roots in the hearts of many conspiracy theorists. Like, they're us- I'm not saying that all conspiracy, conspiracy theorists are Christian. No. But I'm saying some of the most radical conspiracy theorists that I've ran into were devout believers in Christian in, in little Christianity. And uh, I'm trying to come up with the right, like, coin name to, like, you know, I, I, I've just been referring to them as, like, churchgoers or surface-level churchgoers. And, like, I want to, like, Sheeple. be able to, dis- yeah, I, w- I want to describe them in the most, like, semi-backhanded compliment, but still not, like, you know, when, when someone calls me a full-blown child ritualistic satanist that's a very big insult to me but i don't want to fight fire with fire yeah so i want something clever to call them um in return that is still you know not not tasteless yeah i mean i don't know about you when it comes to tasteless and tiktok i have uh i'm a little (laughs) i'm not necessarily i i get angry sometimes my ego gets real real rampant especially about freemasonry so how have you in particular you know dealt with that i mean sometimes these have got to be and we've seen the crazy things on your videos but like <laughs> you personally the you know you choose what's published and what not to i've got to imagine you've heard some crazy shit and had some crazy conversations out there could you take us through some oh yeah uh i have well just when i feel that i've heard of all and i feel that i've heard it all a lot someone comes in riding like a bat out of hell yeah they they come in riding like a bat out of hell with some something new and like it it, i get surprised every time and i don't know why you'd think i'd be used to it by now but ultimately for the you know the the generic arrows getting tossed at us uh you know they're they're it's almost boring to hear at this point because they just sound like a bunch of npc parrots and I, they're npcs widow they're, they're, they're npcs that's what they are <laughs> yeah they they're just they're just regurgitating the same nonsense over and over and over and the way that i'm it, like <clears throat> again i appreciate the psychology of everything and one of the things the psychology that i understand since an early age as well is internet shit posting i and before, before Widows Miho, the Freemason TikToker, or uh, brother Michael Hall, Tyler Hall, uh, I go by my middle name, by the way, that's a random side note. But before all of that, I was uh, Tyler Hall, the, the internet shit poster, since AIM chat rooms back in the day. Sorry. And <laughs> everything in between, uh, the uh, Xbox uh parties like uh oh no i can hear it now the 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 modern warfare chat rooms oh yes i was definitely a call of duty kid big time that's literally the only video game i played i mean i played other video games growing up but video games was never really my thing but then hyper fixation comes into play and i played every call of duty from black ops until it got too futuristic and lame yeah Um, 
<laughs> yeah. And, uh, but then Facebook, like, you know, I've gone viral a few times just for simply shit posting and I would call some shit storms on there. And it always fascinated me that something that I just post on the internet that nine times out of 10, I didn't even actually believe I was just saying outlandish shit to get under people's skin. And then to see people's reactions, to see that they were scrolling on their phones and that something that I said in a digital format somehow affected their day to where they now spent the entire day dedicated to like my outlandish post that half the time didn't even make sense. The violent thing that they've now turned into this inflammatory response, which has overwhelmed their being. And so, no, I think that's really interesting. I mean, when it comes to controversial, at Hippie Queen Productions, we strive for it. So good to see that it's a common <laughs> trait. Yeah. And yeah. And I, so I understand trolling. I understand, like, I can dissect the anatomy of trolling. And so ultimately, I was doing it like for, nonsensical purposes then i had this revelate this grand revelation of my life where i just didn't want to be that type of person anymore and like just huge shit you know the uh uh saturn's return thing where you know fork in the road and you want to either take the wrong path the right path i chose the right path and uh i flipped it instead of being an internet bully, I decided to bully the internet bullies, which is the same thing that I always did in real life. Internet and real life is two very different things for me. The internet was where I got to release my inner ego. And then Good way to the, my, my real life was where I would be more like of my good side, you know? Like that's like I would that outward that's, self that's, that's expressed exactly the the humanized version of myself and uh, so I decided to shift that into my online persona if you will and I started to bully the bullies troll the trolls and so they would think that they would come and troll me but then I would somehow reverse it into trolling them and then blah 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 one thing leads to another so the when I'm getting all these horrible comments thrown at me and like all those others, it's like they, they think that they're coming to troll me. And, but really I'm just posting the bait to get them to troll me. So that way I can in turn troll them. I know what they're going to say before I even post it. The troll. I was born exactly. and it's molded by it. <laughs> I hadn't exactly. seen the light until I was already a man. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. Well, you've taken, you know the similar aspects right the fraternity like I, i'm a witch young witch young pagan practitioner version of me was a shithead i would curse hex vex send anything i could i would get in your dreams you know if it, if, if i could do it to be the shit i would outwardly inwardly anyway and then i get into freemasonry and then suddenly all of the good aspects of myself are being reinforced by the people around me and by the the, the teachings i'm like oh shit well i've got i've got a lot i gotta do and I can't do any of it if I keep thinking like that. So I'm here now. And it's, it changes you. It gets inside of you. It's infectious almost. Yeah. And it's like, it's literally the best change that anyone could experience. If they go into the de degrees, take it seriously, pay attention to what's happening. It will ultimately like have that positive impact on your life. And you like you said, listen to those teachings, going out and being a better version, like knowing that how you are with certain people that you cross in your life, whether it be the, uh, you know, your family, whether it be 
the cashier at a fast food restaurant, like the way that you engage with these people, you're affecting their day, which brings me back to the trolling aspect. And like, so I, I realized that if, if someone is having a bad day and they mess up my order and then I go around and I could either ache, cuss them out and be like, you, you met, you fucked up my order. Or I could be more understanding and be like, you know what? Like, I'll be able to eat again. I'm not starving. This person is just probably having an off day and I don't want to make it worse. And then you could still just like the simple act of just saying, thank you. I hope you have a great day can change a person's mood instantly. And that like, that's the type of like charity that like charity doesn't just mean monetary. It means just helping in general, helping, helping your neighbor. And that that's what Freemasonry has taught me is it's more than just donating money to a good cause because life isn't all about money. Life is about encouraging others and, and uplifting others. And that's the old me where I used to try to bring people down to my level whenever I was depressed and I was mad at the world. I'm not mad at the world anymore. I want to lift the world up. Brother, I love that, and I love to hear that. And I'll be honest, it's an incredible transition and segue as we reach the, the conclusion and the end of what will only be the first of, I'm certain, many episodes to come. Brother, thank you so much for your time today. Before we go, as we take off, one, I want to highlight, if you have any questions about Freemasonry, conspiracy, wild, or close, go fucking check out Widow's Mio, at Widow's Mio, at Widow's Mio, too, over on TikTok, Holy hell. Nine times out of ten, that happened even to me this morning. Somebody sent me a message, crazy-ass question. First one ever, instinctually, brother, I was like, I was just like, I messaged like, yo, have you have you seen what Omeo's channel? Like, you are the number one Masonic TikTok warrior, and I hope you know the entire fraternity benefits from that. I, you know, 20 years from now, you will do more, have done more than, than you will be what people aspire to. And I hope you know in many spaces you set that aspiration for us. So thank you. Thank you for your time and your dedication to the fraternity, brother. It's well seen. Well, thank you. And again, like, not that that is even the intentions, the, like, the goal is to just, you know, if we're going to make good men better, then it's made me better. It worked. So I just feel that that's what I owe back into it is to, you know, it made me a better person. So I would like ultimately want to just shine that light, make a, a good fraternity into a better fraternity and just pay it forward. It's that's, that's what I'm all about. So, mm-hmm. and again, thank you so much for saying all that stuff. I, I greatly appreciate it. I want you to know it's, it's merely an echo, you know, one, one that I can happily say, but I, I am only resounding for many. Whether you are a bright light, thank you for your time. Be well and be blessed. Until next time. Absolutely. Definitely going to be an episode two. Hey, thank you for joining us and making it this far in our podcast. Remember that if you want feedback or engagement, or likewise, if you would like to contribute to the content that we create here at Hippie Queen Productions, head over to our Facebook page. Reach out, message us, let us know what you want to see and what kind of things you'd like to engage with. Remember as well that if you're curious, if you want to learn and grow on an esoteric or educational level, 
we host and teach courses over at howlingwindswellness.com and over on our website, hippiequeenproductions.com. Love you, beautifuls, so much. You really are the reason that we get to do this. We appreciate your time just listening. Be well and be blessed.